So this morning we'll be in uh, James, uh, still in chapter 1, verses 19 through 21. And this is the part where it says, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. But if you were uh, looking forward to getting yelled at this morning about your speech, uh, we're going to wait a few weeks for that. Um, because James, uh, as I'll talk about, he covers it. So uh, James 1, 19 through 21. Uh, so I'm going to read the scripture now. James says, Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Praise God for his word. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you have uh, chosen to reveal yourself through it, that we can know you, we can know who you are, and we can know about our relationship with you and how you have made it right, Lord, through your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you, and we pray in Jesus' name. So if you, if you were to make an outline of these verses, I would suggest you give it the title, Know This, because that's what James does. He starts with know this or understand this. And then under the title would be about five points. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, uh, be slow to anger, practice righteousness, put away all evil, wickedness, sin, uh, which is the opposite of righteousness, and then humbly receive the word of God. And if you didn't get those, we'll, we'll go over those again. Now, because uh, James addresses the topic of listening and speaking in more detail later on in this letter, I, I'm not going to spend too much time on, on the obvious application of verse 19. So I'm going to spend most of my time on verses uh, 20 and 21. Now, so far, uh, James has been talking about trials and temptation but with today's passage, James will talk about another T word, and that's truth. Uh, James doesn't use the exact word truth, but he will talk about God's word, which of course is truth. And, and with this morning's passage, James starts us off with a proverb, a word of wisdom. And he, and he seems to just throw in this proverb, uh, because it just doesn't seem to be connected to anything before or after. Because suddenly he's just talking about listening and speaking in anger. However, uh, we have to be careful not to forget uh, about what James has already taught us, you know, even though it, it does seem that James is jumping to a new topic. So over the last few weeks, we've talked about how facing various trials and tests can either lead us into temptation, drawing us down the path of sin and away from God, or those tests and trials could lead us to spiritual maturity, drawing us closer to God. And last week we were reminded of the goodness of God, especially in bringing us forth or, or calling us to faith through Jesus, through the word of truth that we call the gospel. And so James is doing three things in, in these few verses. Well, one, He's giving us another example of how we might respond to tests and trials 
you know, therefore connecting us with the previous 18 verses and, and using our speech and emotions as an example. I mean, it, it's so easy when, when we're faced with the pressures of a, a particular trial. Uh, you name the trial, it's so easy to get anxious or stressed, and then when we're stressed, we're, we're more apt to respond in anger, especially to those around us, even to those we love. And James had given us the examples of rich and poor, and, and how one might respond to the various trials and tests uh, by our wealth or lack of wealth. And here, James is talking about how we would respond to each other, and not just to God. If, we're, if we are going to let trials and tests lead us down this path of maturity, this path of spiritual maturity, such as loving our neighbor and growing closer to God, then we will need to be careful with our words and our emotions. And two, James is giving us a preview of things to come. Because James, as I said, he's going to have a lot more to say about our speech, our words, our tongues later on in the letter. Five times in this letter that uh, James will talk about proper speech. And, and when by proper speech he's not talking about, you know, not using the word ain't. He's talking about um, our words, our speech, how they can impact others uh, both negatively and positively. So in verse 19 here, uh, James is sort of giving a, a preview or an introduction of, of things to come. And then three, James is actually, he's, he's sort of paving the way for us. He, he's clearing a path to get us to a destination, which is verse 21, where he talks about God's Word. And actually the rest of chapter 1, uh, James is going to talk a lot about God's Word. So, James is clearing a path by giving us a proverb. He says, know this, understand this, my beloved brothers and sisters. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And then he will connect that proverb to God's word. So when James writes, know this, or understand this, he's trying to get our attention. It's sort of like when the teacher says, all right, class, When your mom gets all serious and says, listen to my words. So you know that what follows is serious. It's important and requires your full attention. So James says, all right, class, listen up. Be slow, be quick to hear and slow to speak. Uh, but here, James isn't just talking about some you know, general wisdom about speaking less and, 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 and uh, hearing more. Um, he, he's, because immediately he gives an example, and the example is anger. Because James then writes for. He says, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Other Bibles say, human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. And, and that's what James means. He, he's, how can an angry person grow in spiritual maturity? How can an angry person grow in righteousness? How can a person who's always angry 
they're hurting other people with their anger, with their with their words. How can that person be a good representative of God and the gospel? Of course, the answer is they can't, and that's that's James's point. Of all people, the, the Christian should be the one who is able to listen, to listen with love and compassion and patience, and, and to speak, speak words of love and compassion and patience, and always have control over your anger. Proverbs 14.29 says, Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. Or Proverbs 15.1, a soft answer turns away wrath, but harsh words stir up anger. Proverbs says a lot about our words and, and anger especially. And, and I know this is somewhat controversial, but James doesn't forbid all anger. There, there is a righteous anger, but it's modeled after God's righteous anger. The Bible actually teaches that we can be angry, but we're, we're also told not to sin in doing so. And of course, that's really difficult. There, but there are some things in this world that should make a Christian angry. I mean, there's so much injustice in this world. There's the robbing of the elderly by various schemes online and over the phone. And there's the rampant abuse of children in many different ways. And there's violence against the defenseless. And so those things should make a Christian angry. Paul actually commands us to be angry, believe it or not, by saying in Ephesians 4.26, he says, be angry, but he also says, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. So that this is a command Paul gives to be angry, but it's conditional. Do not let your anger turn into sin. And, and the anger that does turn into sin, well, James has a name for it. He calls it the anger of man. And this is the, the quick-tempered, selfish anger of the world. Now remember that James is writing to Christians who are commanded not to conform to the patterns of this world. Romans 12.2. In our world, even as we read these words, be quick to listen, be slow to speak, be slow to anger, we're surrounded in a culture that does the exact opposite. We, I mean, we've seen and heard plenty of anger in recent months. But the anger we've seen is, is quick-tempered, it's selfish, and it's sinful anger, both in words and in action. Uh, using current events as an example, worldly anger responds to issues like racism with violence and hate and division. Proverbs uh, 16 29 says, the man of violence entices his neighbor and leads him in a way that is not good. Proverbs 29:22, a man of wrath stirs up strife, and one given to anger causes much pain. Godly anger, anger responds to racism with prayer with confession and repentance 
and love, and of course the gospel. Proverbs 10:12 says, "Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses." Regarding the, the gospel, for example, the, the gospel tells us that all humans are created equally in the image of God, having equal intrinsic value. However, all humans sin and are equally rebellious and guilty before God and are subject to God's judgment and wrath. But still, God loves all humans equally and that he sent his son Jesus to die for all, taking our judgment and wrath upon himself. So therefore, salvation is equally available to all people. 1 Timothy 2.4 says that God desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. But this salvation, which is for all people, comes only through faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And unfortunately, many people reject the gospel. So in sum, you could say that the goal of righteous anger, not the anger of man, but the goal of righteous anger, should be to lead people to Christ. James writes, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness that God desires. So here James is talking about two opposites, the anger of man, and the righteousness that God desires. Again, when you think about it, the anger of man or worldly anger is selfish. It's self-focused in that the angry person is self-reliant, wants to take matters into his own hands instead of appealing to God for wisdom and grace. James has already advised us in verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him, but let him ask in faith. This type of anger, the anger of man, even if it's against something very wrong, it just can't change people's hearts. And this, this is especially true of leaders in the church, and I would include husbands and fathers as well here, because we're, we're leaders in the home. Listen to what Paul says to Timothy. Timothy chapter 2, verses 24 through 26. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. So Paul says, instead of being quarrelsome, resentful, or angry, be kind, gentle, and teach so that God will change their hearts. Not you, God will change their hearts. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness that God desires, whether in you or in the other person. As I said earlier, James is using the anger of man as an example of the opposite of righteousness that God desires. Next, James is going to give us a formula or, or a prescription for how we can produce that righteousness in our lives that God desires for us. But, but before we do that, before, before that, James wants us to get rid of some things. 
wants us to get rid of a few things. Now, you, you children out there, now, if imagine every time you received a new gift, every time a new gift or a new toy came in the house, you had to get rid of an old one. So there was an exchange there. Imagine if you got a, a received a new Lego kit. You had to get rid of an older Lego kit. Or if you received a new doll, you had to get rid of a new doll. How many of you think that's a good idea? I know I don't think that's a good idea. Now, Peter thinks it's a good idea. Well, fortunately, that's not what James is going to talk about. That's not what he's going to suggest. This is what he says. He says, so get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly receive the word that God has implanted in your hearts. For it has power to save your souls. So to say it another way, James is telling us to get rid of or literally take off the sin in our lives and replace it with sin, uh, replace that sin with God's Word. So get rid of the sin in our lives and replace that sin with God's Word. James told us in verse 15 that sin leads to death. And we remember that from a few weeks ago, is that, that cycle of temptation, desire, sin, and death. And but then James said in verse 18 that God has given us new life through his word. Now James is telling us that that same word, the same word that God used to give us new life has been implanted in us and, continue, and can continue to save us. Well, save us from what? If you're a believer, you're already saved. Well, in James, the context here it save us from the power of sin. God's Word continues to save us from the power of sin in our lives as we humbly receive God's Word and, and of course, obey God's Word. I mean, many of us have uh, medical implants in our bodies, you know, whether uh, metal screws or rods uh, to repair broken bones. I know I have a piece of mesh right here to repair a hernia. I know you, you probably didn't need to know that. Um, we have heart devices implanted in our hearts uh, to keep us healthy. Uh, and some of you have new hips or, or knees implanted in your bodies. Well, James talks about God's Word being implanted in the believer. And if this sounds kind of weird, you know, having God's Word implanted in you, the prophet Jeremiah talks about it. Jeremiah was speaking to, to people who were not uh, living up to God's word. They were not obeying God's law. In fact, the problem was they couldn't keep God's law. They needed something. They needed something. But Jeremiah gives them a promise. And it's a promise straight from the mouth of God. It was a promise of a new covenant. Jeremiah, the day is coming, says the Lord when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt. They broke that covenant, though I love them as a husband loves his wife, says the Lord. But this new covenant 
I will make with the people of Israel after those days, said the Lord. I will put my instructions, my word, I will put my word deep within them, and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. Praise God. So according to Jeremiah's prophecy, God was going to write his law on the hearts of his people, or as James says, the word God has implanted in our hearts. The prophet Ezekiel says something similar. He says, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you. And you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and be careful to obey my rules. So God put his law or his word on our hearts and his spirit in our hearts. And the spirit of God works through the word of God to help us, as James says, produce the righteousness that God desires. So as I, I mentioned a few weeks ago, the book of James is like a how-to manual for Christian living. James gives us very practical, very straightforward instructions. And James's, James's concern is that we grow or, or that we mature in our faith, that we love God, that we love our neighbor as Jesus commands, and that we humbly receive God's word continually. And he knows, James knows that we will face trials and tests of various kinds, and that we may allow ourselves to be tempted and to sin and to blame God. Or, or we may be tempted to be deceived, as we talked about a week ago, which again leads to death. And by death, James means a fractured relationship with God. When God desires for us life, and the beginning of that life was salvation, which came to us through God's Word, same word, the same word which had the power to save our souls, also has the power to give life and to give it abundantly, as Jesus says, if only we would continue to humbly receive it. So if we go back to the five points I mentioned at the beginning under the heading, know this or understand this, James reminds us that humble heart has open ears and controls the tongue from verse 19 let every person be quick to hear and slow to speak a receptive heart controls his emotions seeking God's wisdom and grace verse 19 be slow to anger a receptive heart gets rid of sin verse 21 get so get rid of all filth and evil in your lives receptive heart is righteous. Verse 20, James says, produce the righteousness that, righteousness that God desires. And finally, a righteous heart welcomes God's word. 
come into our hearts. Verse 21, humbly receive the word God has implanted in your hearts. Verse 21. In the, the first book of Kings, chapter 19, there's a great powerful story about the prophet Elijah. Elijah has escaped from the evil Jezebel and he's made it all the way to Mount Horeb, the mountain of God, and he's decided to spend the night there in a cave. He's angry, he's discouraged, he's afraid, but he's also forgotten God's word. And Elijah was feeling a bit sorry for himself. So finally, God speaks and asks Elijah, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah pours out his heart to God. So God told him to go outside of the cave. Stand outside the cave, Elijah. And then there was a great wind. A wind that was so powerful that it even split the rocks on the mountain. So Elijah, Elijah must have looked at that amazing display of power and thought, Wow, God must be in that wind. But the scripture tells us, that, tells us that God wasn't in the wind. And then there was an earthquake. And probably a whole bunch more rocks broke away from the mountain. And probably after that powerful demonstration, Elijah, Elijah thought, God must have been in that. But again, scripture tells us that God wasn't in the earthquake either. And then there was a fire. And if you've ever seen a fire at night, you, can know, you know it can be pretty spectacular. And as Elijah looked at this spectacular fire, he must have thought, surely God is in this fire. But again, the scriptures tell us that God wasn't in the fire either. But then, Elijah heard a still, small voice. And that was God's and I find that pretty amazing, that, that the God of all power, who created the heavens and the earth with his words, who has all knowledge and wisdom and authority, and he, and he rules all of eternity, this God speaks in a whisper. And the whisper was God's word. It was God's word that gave Elijah the courage to do what he needed to do next. It was God's word, even a whisper. Not, not the miraculous wind, not the earthquake, not the spectacular fire, but it was God's word that Elijah humbly received and moved him to obey. Be quick to listen, hear, slow to speak. Be slow to anger. Produce the righteousness that God desires Put away all evil or wickedness, which is the opposite of righteousness. All so that you may humbly receive the word of God. Amen? Amen. Praise God.